Welcome again to the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. There's, yeah. the, there's the camera. Yeah, it's, it's right over here. Yeah, so, I'm so um, used to like looking straight that way since it's like right at me there. Yeah, there yeah. You go. so we are broadcasting live from Buffalo. So I know uh, last time we were we recorded something, we said we would not do any shows Monday, but there's some stuff that's come up, and we are joined uh, by our friend Tim Carter. So if you're looking in the corner of your screen, you see a nice picture I picked um, without asking him anyway. Um, looks like he's preaching and everything. How you doing tonight, Tim? Doing good. Glad to be with you guys. Yeah, we're glad man, to have you, man. Thanks so much for joining us, Tim. You've had a busy day, I know, because I've been involved in uh, a few of those discussions. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're sorry that you couldn't make it tonight, uh, Tim. So originally, uh, we are going to have, like, Tim wanted to come uh, to Buffalo, and so I'm just like, uh, he's, he's in Sedalia, I'm in Springfield. And this is the closest to halfway as we can get anyway, but uh, he couldn't make it to the studio tonight. But we're still um, live from Buffalo, Missouri, so uh, we have a couple of different bookshelves yeah. in the background tonight. So you, now you get to look at Dave's awesome uh, collection of Not books. Not quite as nice as yours, but there Whatever. you go. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to be here. So uh, <laughs> glad that you could join me here in my office. This is the first time we've ever recorded anything from the office here in Buffalo. We've yeah. never recorded. I mean, I've been in Buffalo in the office recording, but I've never actually, we've never actually done it here in Buffalo. Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, the reason why, um, I mean, we, we weren't planning on uh, doing any uh, recording today and that we were going to work on uh, our paper, but um, there's just some major issues that's come up and uh, we touched on it in the last uh, podcast um, from the word and way the uh, day was asking me some questions uh, and, and I know uh, there's been some issues to discuss and things have been straightened out and stuff. So um, there's some issues that we need to talk about um, things that are in uh, Southern Baptist life in Missouri Baptist life. These are important issues when it comes to the convention um, either state wise or national convention um, issues that need to be dealt with. And they're hitting home, um, especially to uh, Dave and Tim um, and all of us in uh, really southwestern Missouri. Um, but they're not just issues that are located here. They're, they're everywhere. But the sort of what you could call the lightning rod um, is, is hitting really close to here, <laughs> you know, like 30 minutes away from here. Um, but anyway, um, so we, we wanted to talk about a couple of articles. I know Tim, um, had shared a couple of articles that, um, he would like to speak on, um, in this issue. And so, um, Tim, uh, how about, uh, you sort of, uh, introduce, yeah, introduce um, yourself yeah. again, Tim, for those who maybe don't remember yeah, it's been a while. You from the past real quick, and then we'll it, begin to kind of jump been. in, uh, to some yeah. things. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, for those who, who haven't heard me before, my name is Tim Carter. Uh, I'm an elder at Cornerstone Baptist Church. I've been up here in Sedalia area for, for the last 10 years. Um, went by vocational just recently, last couple of years, and still serve as an elder uh, and, and still enjoy teaching and that kind of thing. Other than that, I've been involved in the uh, Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network, been involved in that for a while. I've uh, been able to do some debates with Dave and, uh, and Adam and been on the podcast before and 
I had a lot of fun with these guys and I always uh, liked the opportunity to come on and and uh, just talk theology and apologetics and, and how it applies to our life. And um, I got my master's degree at uh, Columbia Evangelical Seminary uh, in apologetics. And uh, right now I am flirting with the idea of, of going after the doctorate uh, in a THD, a doctor in theology degree. So we'll see what happens with that. But that's yeah. kind of in a nutshell uh, where I'm at and who I am. And Yeah, and if uh, I got... I was going to say for our audience, uh, so yeah, last time uh, that we had did anything major with Tim was definitely uh, hitting up Christian mysticism. So he's, right. you know, he's studied extensively on like prosperity gospel um, and just relating how it is very mystical, um, getting into this uh, like sort of Christ consciousness type stuff and like as close as it gets to um, what looks like a church and stuff like that. So uh, go back if you want to. We talked about uh, Christian witches with them. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it was like earlier last year. Yep. Is Around when we did uh, that. So, April, May, yeah. March, April, May last year. Yeah. If I remember so if you right. go to our YouTube page, I think uh, I had set up a sort of a playlist of the episodes we did with Tim. So there's some really good, valuable information that Tim has contributed to uh, the Apologetics Network. Um, you know, just stuff that me and Tim or me and Dave have learned from Tim and just our experience in that discussion anyway. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. So that's the last time we had some major things. And then, you know, me and uh, Tim both together uh, moderate. Dave's uh, right. inerrancy debate, which that's what we're going to talk about today, is um, just the some issues of uh, inerrancy, because um, that's kind of where, where everything's kind of uh, centered around anyway. If, uh, if it's not explicit, it's definitely implied um, in some of the controversy and everything going on. So um, what's come up is there's a couple of articles that we want to hit tonight, and they're from uh, The Word and Way. And I don't know if you guys uh, know what The Word and Way is, maybe some uh, – Baptist past uh, probably have more of an understanding of what word and way is. And I know uh, Dave has talked about it with somebody else today, but Dave, um, would you like to give us a little uh, input on what in the heck is, <laughs> is the word, word and way? way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Tim, you jump in whenever you want. I know sometimes when you're not actually in the room, it's a little bit harder to know like when to speak. Uh, if I hear you speaking and you're interrupting me, I will stop because I want to make sure that I uh, am being respectful to you. And I really appreciate your time. So the Word and Way, yeah. essentially around 2000, Tim, if I remember right, uh, both of us were at Southwest Baptist University, not quite then, not in 2000. We were getting ready to go there in a few years. Um, there was essentially a break within the Missouri Baptist Convention where the conservative entities and the conservative churches decided that they were going to be real serious about doctrinal distinction and being doctrinally and historically Baptist. That's when the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 came out out, right? And of course, that was adopted immediately and affirmed by the Missouri Baptist Convention like it was almost every other state convention. Well, while this is happening, there are entities within the Missouri Baptist Convention, the Word and Way being one, um, Windermere being another, um, William Jewell being another one, um, Missouri Baptist University being another one, and their board set up a governing document change so that they could essentially break away from the Missouri Baptist Convention. One of the ones that broke away and got away and stayed away was the word and way. Now, the Missouri Baptist Foundation, Missouri Baptist University, and even, in a sense, Windermere have now all come back in some form or another to the Missouri Baptist Convention. So, the Missouri Baptist Convention is conservative. Its liberal counterpart is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, and most of the individuals who are involved in 
um, supporting and listening to and being a part of the Word and Way is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Now, I want to be really clear on this idea of liberalism. And, and again, Tim, feel free to jump in. Essentially, a historically conservative or a historically Baptistic position is where the Southern Baptist Convention wants to be. You can see that in documents like the Baptist Faith and Message and how it borrows from the 19 or the 1844 New Hampshire Baptist mm-hmm. Confession of uh, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, the abstract of principles, right? So historically Baptist, the CBS, just like uh, individuals in the PCA, right, are essentially individuals and groups that say, you know what, Scripture can't speak authoritatively, there's errors in it, Ah, this whole idea of salvation being exclusively through Christ, you know, who are we to judge? And very, very much there is a wishy-washiness about uh, human sexuality. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas we would say God has spoken and God has decreed marriages between a man and a woman. That is a covenant between God, a man and a woman. Those who are in the more liberal denominations wouldn't want to stand in that same area. Tim. Right. Yeah. And so like when you have all this movement going on, especially back in the seventies uh, with liberalism and evangelicals trying to uh, figure things out and, and where they stand, uh, you have statements emerge like the Chicago statement of biblical inerrancy, which we're going to talk about tonight. Um, that really helped to define uh, where the conservative, orthodox, evangelical stance was on the scriptures. And really, it all comes back to what our view of scripture is that defines all these other things. Um, if, if you don't like the authority of scripture, then you have to get rid of the inerrancy of scripture. If you don't like uh, certain passages, the, sometimes the only way you have to get rid of those, or really the only way to get rid of those, is to deny whether or not those are factually true or whether or not those are additions later. And, uh, you know, we can get into the, into the mud later on all that, but, but essentially uh, we have these statements like the BFM 2000 uh, as basically kind of defining points for us that say, this is, these are our terms. This is where we stand. This is what we believe. And uh, that's what the Chicago statement and, and some of these other statements that we're going to talk about tonight. And, and one thing I, would do, I do want to add is something that, that we forgot to mention is that we're all members of the International Society of Christian Apologetics. That's right. And um, the International Society of Christian Apologetics was formed uh, to defend inerrancy. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was for that purpose. Dr. Norman Geisler was, was kind of the main charge behind that, as well as some other individuals. Um, they they started noticing around that a lot of the theological societies and philosophical societies were getting away from a conservative orthodox view of the scriptures, and they wanted to form an entity that would be committed to defending that very thing. So as as we discuss these things tonight, these are this is something that all of us are passionate about. And we believe that uh, many Missouri Baptists are passionate about, uh, even if you don't know what the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy is, uh, I would venture to guess that most Missouri Baptists would agree uh, with it. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was I was looking through the BFM 2000, and, uh, you know, if, if you affirm the BFM 2000, I don't know how you can deny the Chicago Statement. I mean, they, they fit well, so together, so well together, and... Uh, The Chicago Statement basically takes what you see in the BFM and and what we believe about Scripture, and it expounds upon that and explains it in such a detail that you can't just have a general affirmation, but 
it's a clear, this is where we stand Mm -hmm. and this is what we believe. And so I'm kind of jumping ahead of the gun here, but, uh, just wanted to throw that in there that, you know, it's, it's a big issue, uh, when it comes to the inerrancy of scripture that, that affects a lot of, of the conversations that we're having even today in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if, uh, I think, uh, in the, in the past, Dave, we did our um, attributes of scripture shows mm-hmm. earlier. I guess that was this year and this year. No, <laughs> I think it was last year. Yeah, it was last year. Well, maybe at the start of. No, because we, it was right at the end of last year, right yeah. before the debate. And the debate was yeah, at the start right. of January. That's right. So, okay. So we, we did that. And I mean, uh, you know, you notice whenever you look at the Baptist Faith, the message 2000, it is oozing with uh inerrancy so you know uh the kind of the history if you get into the battle for the bible um and just getting into what happened with the historical critical method uh back in the 1800s how it started the takeover of the uh universities and all that kind of stuff and and you look at the total landscape of things going on and everybody going liberal and the southern baptists were kind of like right on that teetering edge then you had the chicago statement come out you had the conservative resurgence and then the baptist faith and message 2000 comes out and it's that's the reason why it sounds the way it sounds now you know i would i would prefer you know whenever we got into the sufficiency of scripture you know i kind of prefer like hey we need to add another attribute and let it drip let let our uh, confession drip with another attribute of scripture um because i think what's getting attacked is uh, sufficiency but now um in this issue that we're talking about you know inerrancy 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 you know but then again um because they don't view it as sufficient then they've got they got one less attribute and so now it's to attack um inerrancy and so um you know when we're getting but to I this think, oh yeah go for it i think too like if if you don't have inerrancy, you don't have sufficiency. Yeah, yeah. And if you're going to deny sufficiency, you have to deny inerrancy. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, because because the Bible speaks to its sufficiency, so either the Bible is telling the truth or it's not. Yeah. Um, and so, if you deny one, you deny the other. I would argue. Yeah. Uh, something else that is is worth noting is this is not the Chicago statement is not a a Baptist statement. Yeah. It's yes. Not um, yep. It's it's it's. Uh, formed out of uh, evangelicalism, mm. uh, and so it represents Presbyterian, it, it represents Baptist, it represents um, a, a wide swath of evangelicals uh, in that time that it was was pinned down in the 70s. Yeah. And so this is something that, you know, we can have unity with other believers, even if they're not in our own denomination, that this is something that we should stand and fight together for um, is biblical inerrancy. And I would say something that's also really, really crucial, you know, in the book, uh, the vital issues in the inerrancy debate, even um, Dr. Roach sits down with Paige Patterson and he asked him just straight up, is inerrancy just a reformed thing? And again, this is not something that is Reformed Christians versus non-Reformed Christians or Reformed Baptists versus non-Reformed Baptists. Like, this is a very crucial issue among Baptists in total, right? We have, again, uh, very clearly the in 1979, uh, it became very clear that we were going to be an inerrancy denomination, according to yeah. Tom Nettles, right? And so this is something that has tied not only— Southern Baptists together, but also the greater evangelical 
perspective as a whole. And so uh, very, very key piece, and I'm grateful to get to deal with it. So if it's okay, what I'm going to do, Tim, is I'm just going to kind of jump into what I think the first shots fired in this whole discussion was, and that's in an article that appeared in uh, the Word and Way on September 9th of 2020. It is SBU adds three creedal statements for religious professors. Now, Adam and I began to work with this just a little bit last week, and he began to kind of comment on that element. Uh, I just want to kind of uh, pick up just a little bit here as we move down through it. And uh, if that's okay, Tim, I don't want to put you in any type of an odd situation, but if it's all right, let's kind of go back and revisit some of this SBU adds three creedal statements. I'm going to kind of jump uh, down about halfway here. As the controversy grew, Redford professors were required to affirm the Baptist faith and message 2000, and SBU trustees also affirmed the statement. The The NBC now requires any church desiring to affiliate officially with the to affiliate officially adopt the Baptist faith and message 2000. Why is that such a big deal? Well, it simply, you know, says that this is what we believe and we agree with it. You know, if if I go in and I join a church, if I go visit a church, I want to know what they believe and where they stand on uh, who God is, what the scriptures are, how a person comes to faith. How is the church supposed to be organized? How are things to be carried out? Um, I want to be able to understand where this church is and what they believe. So if I'm going to join a church, you know, when, when somebody comes and joins our church, you know, we ask them, uh, you know, if, if, if they agree with us on those things and if they want to be a part of what we're doing, it's one of those things. And so when we have clear statements like that, uh, we can have unity and know that, okay, we agree on the key issues that, that we've deemed as key issues and we can work together for the kingdom. And so when you have a, a larger group of churches like the Missouri Baptist Convention or even like the Southern Baptist Convention uh, coming together to work together for, for a common goal of, 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 of spreading the gospel and, and expanding the kingdom, there has to be agreement on, on what we believe and what we're teaching so that we can work in unity. Because if we don't agree on the truth, we can't have true unity between the churches. So let me think, so, yeah, go for it. Sorry. And so when, when, when the convention says, you know, we want churches that affiliate with us to adopt the BFM 2000, what they're saying is we want to know that, that you agree with where we're at theologically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want you to be a part of what we're doing. But if you're not going to agree with us, then that's going to cause some disunity and, and harm to the organization. Um, doesn't mean that that church is, you know, the church of Satan or or evil or anything like that. Um, It just means that maybe they don't agree on everything. And and we don't have to agree on everything. Uh, I think there are some core doctrines that we must agree on. But but to be a part of the convention, that is part of the requirement that, that we all know that we are in this together. We believe along the same lines, and, and that helps us build that unity so that when we send our students to church camps put on by the convention, we know what they're going to get. We know mm-hmm. that we're not sending them to uh, a church camp where they're going to be taught something contrary to what we believe. Uh, when we go on group mission trips with other churches in the convention, whether it's Builders on Mission or Disaster Relief, we know that the churches we're working with, hey, when we go down there, it doesn't matter what church they're, they're coming from. They've agreed to these things, and, and we can work in unity and not have to worry about making sure that 
uh, we're, we're having to go back and correct things that, that don't exactly line up with what we teach. That's a yeah. key piece. And I want to give just a little piece. And Adam, don't let me like oh, no, monopolize anything. So here's why this is such an important thing. SBU is a Missouri Baptist school, mm-hmm. meaning that it has a partnership with the Missouri Baptist Convention. Uh, in its bylaws and governing documents, they say that the Missouri Baptist Convention, one of the ways that they partner with it is by being the ones who name their trustees. The Missouri Baptist Convention churches at the annual meeting name the trustees. There's five trustees that rotate on the board and off the board each year, five new trustees. So at the Missouri Baptist annual meeting every year, the Missouri Baptist Convention has been voting for those trustees. Now here's where the rubber hits the road. Not only does the Missouri Baptist Convention get the privilege to name the trustees, those trustees are entrusted with protecting the not only the government of the institution, but the professors and the doctrinal integrity of the institution. Now, here's again where this becomes super big. If all of the churches of the Missouri Baptist Convention affirm the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, saying this is what we agree on, and by the way, one of the major differences between the 1963 Baptist Faith and Message and the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message is that the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message names the family. It has the statement on the family. Now, there's some different changes there's some tightening up of it, right? Some more specifically on the element of inerrancy. But the biggest addition to that statement is the definitional last article, that of family. And it defines family as a consisting of a husband and a wife, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or basically, and then their progeny, right? Yeah. So essentially, it states very clearly that, uh, again, the basis of family is husband and wife married together on the cover, under the covenant of God. It didn't do that in the 1963 statement. Why? Because homosexuality and the affirmation of homosexual marriage did not exist in 1963. So like right? any other you know, time in history that we see in church history, when something comes up um, you know, on the earth as some sort of controversial issue, the church always gathers to define um, what scripture has taught and they make their position. This is the historic position. This is what we've taken for granted until now. And so you're saying in the 2000 of BF and M you're saying that what happened between 1963 and 2000, this big issue that needed a definition of what the family is and what the biblical doctrine of family is, is what was placed in there, right? Bingo. That was it. Yes. Very clear. And if you've read it, you, if you've read both of them, you can see that. Um, so, The fact that the Missouri Baptist Convention churches are saying here is after 20 years of change, right, of of giving you 20 years basically to adopt the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, we're now going to tell you, Missouri Baptist churches, you need to adopt the Missouri Baptist, you need to adopt the Southern Baptist Statement of Faith, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Here's where this becomes a big deal. So last year, giving just a little bit of history, there were trustees put forward by Southwest Baptist University. In fact, actually, and I think that I'm 100% able to say this, they tried to meet at the last minute with the nominating committee of the Missouri Baptist Convention and people from SBU, people who were in positions of authority at SBU, tried to push people like Tim Carter out of the trustee board, right? We had, we had Mike Roy on here. He was another mm-hmm. one. They were trying to be pushed out. The real response was, why are these people that you're putting forward coming from churches that don't affirm the Baptist Faith and Message 2000? After 19 years, they can't say, 
hey, in a business meeting, um, let's switch over to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is a good document, which is a better document and more doctrinally clear than the 1963 statement. So, of course, Missouri Baptist Convention nominating committees wouldn't accept these individuals who wouldn't even be a part of a church that would actually clearly define marriages between a man and a woman. Why would they not? Because that's a pretty yeah. definitional statement. So to what happens in this article is, uh, again, the uh, Missouri Baptist Convention is ridiculed here because they turned down churches and people from churches who hadn't adopted the Baptist Faith Message 2000. Yeah. Let me jump back into this, Tim, if that's okay. Uh, as the controversy grew, Redford professors were required to affirm the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Already touched on that. Let me jump down real quick. For much of 2020, the disagreement between the NBC and SBU has been mostly behind closed doors as leaders and lawyers discuss governing governance changes that the NBC is demanding of the institution, such as affirming the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 and granting the NBC stronger legal authority over the institution. Two things. Number one, these things that are being stated by Brian Kaler uh, should not be out to the public. There has been no official statement from SBU about the governing documents changes. Nothing has been officially released. Is that correct, Tim? That is correct. I mean, this is, uh, you know, he, he's uh, he's claiming to have knowledge of information that is strictly confidential that uh, shouldn't be discussed. Uh, but yet uh, he's claiming that he knows what what the documents say and, and as acting as if, you know, he has them in his hand. I mean, I, I don't know where he gets the information, but he, he's talking about things that he shouldn't know. Um, no one should know outside of the board of trustees. So um, yeah. it, it is it is troubling, uh, to say the least. But, uh, you know, we can look back at the vote uh, of the convention. You know, that that's a public thing. You know, that's yeah. information that he could get um, and know that, you know, the convention does want uh, alignment uh, and, and does want better unity built. Uh, between the two entities, and uh, you know, I, I believe that that both are are working that direction. Uh, but as far as what's in documents that are strictly confidential, and and uh, you know, we don't can't even speak to to where they're at. Um, you know, it, it, it is troubling uh, because of the claims that that are being made in, in this article. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, to have this this information is 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 uh, surprising. And this is where things get really interesting. So there's this yeah. massive criticism over the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Um, I hate to tell Mr. Kaler this, but the ship has left the harbor uh, 20 years ago. This is where Southern Baptists are. This statement of faith was adopted, and this is the statement of faith that Southern Baptists affirm. Yes. There is an expiration date on the 1963 statement because it doesn't address all of the modern issues of the day. That's why probably in 20 years, there'll be another Baptist Faith the Message 2000 because it's going to uh, incorporate the resolutions that are voted on on the floor mm -hmm. at the Southern Baptist Convention and try to be able to hold fast to true doctrines, to timeless doctrines, but also deal with and navigate those things that become issues of the modern day. 
Um, so let me yeah. jump to this next little part, and then we're going to jump into the reading Bible like enslavers because that's the yeah. really where we want to camp out the most. And, I, and I'm sorry if I've spent way too much time on this. You let me know. Oh, that's all right. I don't want to. No, no, no. And and so yeah, because we need to talk about this because it's not just the Baptist faith and message. Now you know we're going into some other documents um, which have very good importance today because we haven't made a new. We haven't made a new Baptist faith and message yet, right? So um, there's a point where we will say the uh, to the 2040 Baptist faith and message. Okay, let's just yep. say that the 20. The, so what's happening now is what's happening now to where then we'll incorporate some more stuff as we finally got clarification and unity on these issues. So like resolution nine, um, homosexuality, um, or at least just LGBTQ statement. Yeah. You know, so like all the stuff that is, is this statement all on artificial up. intelligence? Yeah. Because from generation to generation, we have to, um, declare the truth, um, in within that generation and everything. So, you know, so now, um, it's not just the, the, uh, Baptist faith and message 2000, you know, we, again, I just want to stress, we are Baptist, we are historically confessional people. And so there shouldn't be really a problem if we're going to accept our, uh, historical roots as Baptist being creedal people and writing statements. And so now when we get into some other documents that, you know, they're, they're not just mad about the Baptist faith, the message 2000, they're mad uh, about other documents that are coming out. So, um, but it says uh, with the new academic year, just starting negotiations between the two camps still underway uh, and the 2020 NBC annual meeting coming next month, a new requirement has, or was imposed on Redford faculty that they affirm three additional statements the demand echoes the shift from a confessional to a creedal culture in recent years at some uh, SBC seminaries that have increased the number of statements faculty must affirm. And so, this is when I was asked, you know, um, last week, and I said, Baptists are creedal people. Um, there's people out there going like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I'm like, it's historically Baptist, right? And Dave, you know, you would you would agree that like, you've read Baptist history. Tim, I don't know how much Baptist history you, you've read, but you would agree that Baptists are creedal people and we're just acting like Baptist, right? Right. I mean, when you look at the, uh, the original founding churches of the SBC, they were all 1689 mm-hmm. confessional churches. So uh, they, they all had the 1689 confession as their as their document. So. You know, yeah. it's 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 historical, uh, and you know the fact that you know we've had multiple amendments uh, to the BFM BFMNN, uh, you know, is it, it, pretty clear to to where we're at. Yeah. So instead of it being really recent history, it's actually something that's been a part of our history, and recently we have dropped off, and now people are recognizing. Wait a second, where did we go? Yeah, this is a <laughs> you know? silly statement yeah. to talk about a imposition of a creedal statement the very first southern baptist entity of higher education the southern theological seminary or southern as it is often called had the abstract of principles at the very beginning and it was if you're going to teach here you have to agree with this yeah so it's nothing new exactly nothing new under the sun now here's the issue a place like Southwest Baptist University was not actually started by 
a bunch of churches. There was no Missouri Baptist Convention in the same way that there is today. But a group of pastors who got together and were concerned about training up other pastors said, we're going to start a college, right? And what did their statement of faith written in 1921 state? Well, first of all, it affirmed the idea that, well, all these folks already agree, most likely all those folks would have agreed to the 1689 London Baptist Mm -hmm. Confession or the 1844 New Hampshire Confession, one of the two, or probably even the abstract of principles, probably all three of them. Mm-hmm. So when they're making a Baptist college, it's clear what Baptist in Missouri, Southern Baptist in Missouri believe. Mm-hmm. So basically what they said in their statement that was written in 1921 was, you can't be a Campbellite and you can't be Methodist in the old statement of faith. Makes sense. Why? Well, because they wanted, they didn't need to clarify because all those folks knew what it meant to be Baptist. Now we have folks like the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, right, who are so wishy-washy on things, we have to actually be distinct about what we believe, right? Mm-hmm. Just because you say that you're Baptist, University Heights Baptist Church, right, doesn't mean that you can stand hand-in-hand hand to me and, with me and preach the gospel, right? Because I don't know what you think about Scripture. I really don't know what you believe. Do you believe it's inerrant, right? Do you believe that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone? Like, do you actually believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, right? I, I bet you that there's a variety of positions on that in CBF churches. I guarantee mm. you there is. So the Baptist churches, there might be some people in the pews who hold different views, but the pastors and the confessional statement of those churches are that this is where we are, right? Yeah. So to say that it's imposed, you also need to recognize something else. Guess what? The churches of the Missouri Baptist Convention are the ones who are sending their students and who are the ones who established the institution. And so if they say that our professors need to teach our students Baptist doctrine, guess what? They get to. And guess what? SBU yielded to that when they gave the Missouri Baptist Convention the authority to elect their trustees. Yeah. So... Tim, let me jump down. Uh, I'm not going to go ahead and, and step away from this article because the one that I think is a little bit more important is, of course, the reading the Bible like enslavers. Is that okay if we go over to that one? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. All right. Uh, Adam, I'll let you kind of, uh, you, you got it pulled up there. Or would me, to I got to reading it. find my thing here. All okay. right. So, yeah. So, if you look at the title anyway, um, we have this one entitled Enslaving the Bible to Liberalism. Um, that's so, yeah, we're going to turn this thing on its head because it just be, it, it comes from a worldview issue. Um, it comes from what you believe. Um, and so, uh, if you look at this article, um, you're going to um, be told that uh, we have a enslaving worldview, but really um, what becomes the actual hostage here and it becomes scripture. Um, that's kind of the big thing um, from this article that uh, came out. So this one is uh, again from the word and way. And I think yeah, same author, same author, Brian Kaler. Um, and uh, basically, okay, we're going to get the liberal, <laughs> you know, worldview on this uh, issue, but we're going to see the absurdity really of it because if you don't have uh, an, an inerrant scripture, if you don't have sufier, a sufficient, clear, authoritative, um, necessary um, scripture, right, then it's just whatever. It's a free-for-all. Um, it's all arbitrary. It's all relative. And so um, 
But the only thing is you can't live within that worldview. You're going to make absolute truth claims and you're going to make absolute charges that de- demand the standard that only an inerrant word can provide. And so um, in this article, I'll just start reading. It says, last week, two stories dominated uh, web statistics, uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary senior professor defending slavery and uh, Southwest and Southwest Baptist University requiring religion professors to affirm new theological documents. Uh, at first blush, the stories seem unrelated other than they both involve a Baptist school, uh, but in reality, they represent the same problem, reading the Bible like enslavers. So, you know, right now we're coming from, you know, this, here's the popular thing, um, critical race theories involved. Um, all this uh, liberal postmodern thought um, is involved. And so there's a worldview here um, that we're going to see unfold, a lens unfold. And it doesn't just, I guess, interpret scripture. It interprets what other people do and what other people say. So um, it says Tom Nettles, a senior professor at SBTS, wrote multiple essays recently arguing against removing the names of SBTS and slaver founders from buildings and other places of honor on campus. That is dishonest. Mm. Yeah. He, and I'll tell you why it's dishonest. Someone wrote a letter to an open letter to the trustees, Dwight McKissick, who is friends with Tom Nettles, by the way, wrote a letter to the trustees at Southern seminary requesting that they do this. Hmm. It wasn't like he was just jumping out and trying to defend this. That is what it's drawn to be in this article. I believe that that was fallacious, and I believe that that was an attack dog move. There's mm-hmm. my opinion. Uh, people are welcome to that. I don't know where you fall in that, uh, Tim, but that's kind of my position on it. Well, I mean, the whole the whole article is disappointing on a lot of levels, but it's taking advantage of a politically hot topic and fighting an old battle with it. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and so like when we get into the Chicago statement, I don't know if he mentions the Chicago statement in this, uh, but even the BFM 2000, there's complaint about that and the Chicago statement and the Danvers statement, uh, and the Nashville statement on, on, on human sexuality. Like, he, he's using a politically hot topic to, to argue and fight a fight that was fought years and years ago. Um, but the, th- the thing that's changed is, is now that we're not, we're still fighting liberalism, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's a different, different animal in that it's a postmodern liberalism. Yeah. And so these statements are just as important today, probably more important today. Uh, because with postmodernism, any a word can mean whatever you want it to mean. Yeah, uh, you you can make it interpret. You can interpret a word uh, however you want. You know, and there was you know statements been made uh, that you know an individual could read the BFM two thousand and agree to it, but interpret it differently uh, than someone else to then. Uh, creep in things that Baptists would uh, not agree to. Uh, And so the reason statements like the Chicago statement are important uh, for myself and and why I affirm it is because it lays out a clear definition of, okay, I I confirm that I believe in the BFM 2000 as an apologist, uh, but I also want to affirm and let you know that I affirm the Chicago statement of biblical inerrancy and I am going to define things as they are originally intent intended mm-hmm. to define. 
Whereas a postmodern scholar or a postmodern apologist or, or, or theology professor or what have you can look at a word and say, well, I agree uh, that I am, I believe in inerrancy, but I don't think that some of the miracles really happened in scripture. Or I think that I'm going to interpret this differently because I don't really like the way this portrays God or this portrays reality. And so in a postmodern worldview, uh, individuals can then take and and basically define their own terms and yet say they still agree on the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing that, again, I think is so key. Just even in that opening line, he basically accuses Nettles of defending slavery. Yeah. That's not what he does in this article. I've read, if you read the article and you're honest, removing the names, deep cleansing, it's not a defense of slavery. It's a recognition, an honest recognition that people can get things wrong theologically and still be saved. Guess what? Luther killed Anabaptist, yeah. right? Guess what? Calvin killed Servetus. Guess what? I feel like Calvin got baptism wrong, right? Uh, And I have no problem saying that. Guess what? Uh, There were many things that people throughout church history got wrong. So if we are, if we say good things about someone who is a slaveholder, if that means we're defending slavery, then I wonder how uh, Mr. Kaler feels about George Washington. Yeah, uh, I wonder is, what he feels about any of these yeah. people. Does he, has he removed all theological influence of those who ever affirmed slavery from his library? Yeah, all the thing is he doesn't even have a standard to be able to judge anything like that. That's, that's the problem. He's, he's, if he's not an inerrantist, he has no Bingo. standard. And so here, here's the problem is he can say all this stuff, but the, the issue is what comes next is because it says, but he also uh, does this, this, you know, asking for the bill, the names to be removed. It says, um, but he does this. So in part by arguing that being uh, antebellum self or antebellum slave owners and then postbellum white supremacist doesn't mean uh, SBTS's founders were necessarily heretical. Now here's, here's the deal. If we have an inerrant scripture, if we have a standard, we then can take this standard and look at it and go, he was wrong. You know, this person was wrong about slavery, but this person was right about the doctrine of God. Um, we, we can we can study how he exegeted scripture to give this and teach this and this and this. Now, the thing is, is whenever you make man the measure of truth then what like why why was it wrong and let me ask why is slavery wrong if man is the measure of truth and at the time in america it was legal it was okay it was the soup de jour right and then you being against slavery would actually be the wrong one right so if we're going to make man the measure of truth if we're going to make society the measure of truth because you've gotten rid of any sort of transcendent thing then actually the ones that didn't want slavery anymore were actually the the immoral ones. So this is the problem. But now we can, so we don't have to get rid of the names of the people that gave great teaching where we know they gave great teaching because of a transcendent standard, an absolute, ultimate, invariant standard. And so that's why we can deem somebody, hey, we, we can point out, yes, he was a slave owner over here. He taught great things. And guess what? God saves sinners, which is the gospel, and there is no gospel in this. In Brian Kaler's view, there is absolutely no gospel. Why? Because the scriptures are not inerrant. 
there is no God. Well, well, and, yeah, go for two, it. Yeah, go for it. Like, and just, I mean, I'll get in the weeds here, but just the current cultural woke Christianity and, and cancel culture, or whatever you want to call it right now, just just the mess of, of evangelicalism in, in general. Um, you know, you, you put so many qualifications on the individual. Like today, it's if they were a slave owner, then you got to get rid of them. Tomorrow, you know, what's it going to be? And like, so at some point, you got to ask, you know, are, if, if we're just asking that Jesus is the, like, you're, you're, you're narrowing it down to where Jesus is the only one that can reveal truth to you. Yeah. And, uh, and, and while God is our foundation of truth, and, and yes, Jesus is our source of truth, he, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father, it's through God's word in which we are able to know who he is and know what God desires for our life. And it's through his word that we're sanctified and conformed to the image of his son. So, like, you have to have the word, the inerrant word, in order to uh, to live this life out and be like Christ. And, and so you look at all throughout scripture, and it's full of individuals who are massive screw-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Massive screw ups that, that did horrible things. Uh, you know, I was I was listening to something earlier, and they're talking talking about David, and you know, and just David's whole escapade with Bathsheba, and how David kills Bathsheba's husband, and is confronted by Nathan, and and, and that whole process, and in like you see that, but yet God still used David in a mighty way, despite all of his failures and shortcomings. Mm-hmm. And so like Paul, you know, Paul was, you know, bent on killing Christians and imprisoning them, but yet God changed Paul or Saul at the time into Paul, and, and, and changed his life radically with, with the power of the gospel, the power that the gospel has to, then go and, and make many disciples and implant many churches. So, like, you can look at Paul's life and say, well, Paul was a murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul, in some ways, was probably an enslaver. He probably put Christians in the bonds of slavery some in, in some manner of, or, of way. I mean, he threw them in prison. Uh, you know, we don't know if some ended up being a slave down the road because of being in prison and then handed off down the road. You know, we don't, we don't know all that's happened. But, and, and then you even look at, like, Philemon and, and Paul's encouragement to, in, in the letter to Philemon, like, so you can't, you can't, uh, where, where am I going with this? It, you, you can't just cancel someone because of their shortcomings or you have to cancel everybody. Yeah, yeah. Everything becomes sin, right? And if every, you know, that that's that. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful um, thing you just said there. You know, if this is the whole point of Romans three, no one's righteous, right. no not one. The venom of asses underneath their lips, their feet are quick to shed blood. No one seeks for God, right? And so, right. if that is true, then cancel well, us all. And that's the whole well, point: is um, we should be canceled. But here's the gospel. Right. So Jesus became so, sin who knew no sin, right? And so, but, but, yeah. but where the rub where the rub happens is yeah. the the arguments that are being made are not arguments against that because they would. Yeah. I, I think both both sides would agree that the gospel changes lives, and the gospel is is the only hopefully the only way of salvation, and and hopefully the the only way that a sinner can be made right before God and, and get their life turned around. But but the problem is is 
they are using um, past sins to fight battles that are categorically different. Yeah. And what I mean by that is uh, they're trying to pull up the past sins of an individual, the past shortcomings, and trying to discredit the truths of Scripture yeah. by the yeah. actions of the individual. Well, and here's yeah. where, Tim, uh, where I see just a, a massive problem. So he goes on and says, Nettles reads the Bible much like his spiritual ancestors did as they pointed to passages like Ephesians 6, 5-8, Colossians 3, 22-24, Titus 2, 9-10, 1 Peter Chapter 2, six, uh, 18 to 25, to justify slavery. Actually, I could tell you right now that Nettles would unpack those passages and demonstrate that they were fundamentally wrong and flawed in their hermeneutic. In yeah. fact, he would use the hermeneutic that they used, but show that they actually were failing to follow the hermeneutical standard by which they actually were uh, espousing, right? Here's the problem. There has to be a right understanding of these texts. Right? Yeah. Here's the issue. Right. Those who contended for the abolition of slavery used essentially a proto grammatical historical um, hermeneutic to come to that position. And that's the hermeneutic standard that Nettles uh, uses actually to demonstrate that they did not treat those passages rightly. And so here's the problem. Without the lens of some type of hermeneutical standard, one cannot even deal with passages correctly. What is the hermeneutical, st hermeneutical standard that Nettles uses, that Dwight McKissick uses to come to the uh, idea that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Oh, they use a historical grammatical lens. Um, what is it that they use to understand their soteriolo soteriology, the historical grammatical lens? It really comes down to what, uh, how do you understand scripture and what is your method of exegesis? Yeah. And here's the problem with those who deny inerrancy, it doesn't matter what uh, exegesis lens you yeah. use. You can use whatever you want. You can say, make the Bible say whatever you want. Y you might as well uh, use some type of uh, analogy type of lens or, or some type of uh, allegorical type of lens. And if that's what you're going to do, then so be it, but it's not consistent. And yeah. so Nettles actually would not be arguing and using those words to defend slavery. And guess what? He doesn't. Yeah, yeah. He actually doesn't do what this article claims him to do but you know unfortunately the the tables have turned if you have an arbitrary hermeneutic you can do whatever you want and this is how you can actually argue for slavery if you can just pack enough emotion behind it which i'm sure is what they were doing uh at the time especially if you're thinking about the 1800s remember the historical critical method was coming in at that time too so you can't do this so it's not necessarily what he says he said and he grounded his justification of slavery in the biblical infallibility and rel and relevatory ministry of the apostles and it's like no now there might be an and there might be an infallibility um principle but in practice because of infallibility or because of the inspiration um because of our doctrine of inerrancy it's because of that we can actually say no so mark right. noel the it's, it's Go for it, Tim. Something I want to add is that that last that last statement that you read, it, it, I believe it's the, uh, the last sentence of the second paragraph in that yeah. article. That right there tells you what he's really arguing against. Yeah. yeah, he's not arguing against slavery. He is using slavery and the injustices that were committed 
to try to pin it on biblical infallibility and the revelatory ministry of the apostles. Like, essentially what he's saying here is if you appeal to those things, you're just as bad as a slave owner. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. And, like, I, I read this, I'm like, you don't even believe the Bible. Yeah, and so basically, like, yeah, you're saying, like, really just because of just the, the soup du jour anyway, symbols of oppression, right? We're trying to get rid of symbols yeah. of oppression and inspiration. Inerrancy is a symbol of oppression. So you don't have to be logical about it. It, hits well, your, it hurts your feelings when you think about it, so get rid of it, right? Let, let me ask you this. So it says this, that he grounded his justification in biblical infallibility. So the justification for slavery, he's saying it was grounded in. So there's something wrong with biblical infallibility and yeah. the revelatory ministry of the apostles. Let's break that down for a minute. Biblical yeah. infallibility we've talked about. But what's the revelatory ministry of the apostles? What's revelation? Well, it's, it's God's word that yeah. he's given us ultimately. Yeah. So what he's saying here is he's, appeal, he's, he's saying that what the apostles wrote, the New Testament, is mm-hmm. justification for the grounds of slavery. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, my question is, do you completely reject what the apostles wrote? You'd have to if you're going to be consistent. If you're going to be consistent. Yeah. But you, again, in liberalism, you don't have to be consistent. You get to pick and choose. Yeah. So that's, that's the absurdity. You can make absolute truth claims that aren't absolute, right? But only <laughs> when they, the, the issue, only when they benefit you. Yeah. Yeah. So again, uh, Nettles reads the Bible much like his spiritual ancestors did, as they pointed out to passages like Ephesians six uh, five through eight, Colossians two or Colossians three twenty two through twenty four, or twenty four, Titus two nine and ten, and First uh, Peter two eighteen through twenty five to justify slavery. Uh, no, that's not the way that worked. Uh, like them, Nettles argued, enslaved persons should submit to their enslavers and not try to gain freedom by unlawful means. And then here is the issue: is what uh, he says. This is Nettles. It says. Um, the reasoning, however, might not be quite facile. Together, we agree that the Bible uh, reprobates man-stealing in 1 Timothy 1.10, um, Exodus 21.16. So the stealing, the kidnapping of a man into slavery, chattel slavery, what that would be the kind of stuff that actually did happen, right? That wasn't the same slavery that happened that they were talking to in the rest of Scripture, Bingo. but this Bingo. is prohibited. Um, but it says, uh, we also would agree that freedom is superior as a temporal condition, which is what Paul does say. If you can obtain freedom by lawful means, do it right. So we are about freedom. Um, and, and Tom Nettle says it here. And so, uh, freedom is superior as a temporal condition to slavery and should be achieved when a lawful opportunity arises. First Corinthians seven twenty one. Um, we should, or uh, we also would agree, um, with Brodus. Um, with inspiring wonder at God's providence that the Civil War, even at the cost of a half a million lives, determined that America was a place where a lawful, a lawful path to productive freedom was open to all persons. All right. So he's not saying anything with the way that uh, Bradley or is that uh, Kaler? Kaler. Yeah, yeah. Kaler's wanting to um, say it here. Um, uh, the fact is, whenever you become a Christian, you want to be righteous. Right, you want to be listening to Scripture and Jesus's commands on how to live your life, and you're not supposed to be lawless, right? So I'm sorry, but unfortunately, the the day is we can fight injustice with injustice. 
you're being unjust and we're going to demand justice, but we're going to do it unjustly. Yeah. We're not going to what God tells us to, what Jesus tells us to do to repay good for evil. We're not going to listen to Christ's commands. And this is what Kaler is basically speaking out against is being righteous. What we are called, well, I guess if you don't have an infallible scripture, it doesn't even matter what Jesus says. Near at least 500 miles away, professors at SBU are being told they must sign three new documents in addition to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. The creedal push comes amid a nearly two-year conflict as some Missouri Baptist Convention leaders push for theological changes at the school. Among those who've argued for such changes at SBU are Nettles. Oh my goodness, you mean the people that we elect and hire as those who are convention heads, who are uh, given the, again, position and the trust to take care of the doctrinal integrity of Missouri Baptists are actually doing it? Oh my goodness, that is, oh, that's wild. So they're doing what Paul asked Timothy to do. They're doing it what the Bible says to do, right? To protect what has been entrusted. To contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Tim, Stuart, I mean, is been, there anything else you want to add well, to that? Yeah. Uh, and Nettles is encouraging to do them to do that. Thank goodness. Right. One thing I do want to say, though, is, um, you know, I can't speak to confidential matters. Yeah. But what I do know is if SBU, if, if professors are being told at SBU that must sign three new documents, um, who's telling them? Mm. And where did they get this information? Yeah, exactly. Uh, because I'm not going to discuss anything uh, that's confidential. Uh, so who's who's saying this? And do they do we know that this is factual? Uh, is, is this really being pushed right now? Or you know what's going on? Uh, so uh, there's just some questions there that I have. Is you know. To my knowledge, there there has no been there there. I don't. I can't even speak to it. I can't speak to it. But what I, what I say is, if they're being told something that there's three new documents, I, I don't know where they've gotten this information. Yeah, and I don't think there's any sort of citations at all um, to anything else. So it's like he, either he's got somebody on the inside, or he's got some, you know something's leaking. But he's definitely not provided any sort of footnotes. To is there an official these, statement these from SBU that any of this has occurred? By the way. Anyone know? Uh, not, not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge no. either. It's, it's uh, the, you know, the the first time that I heard anything about this was a uh, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook shared it, uh, and he was a former uh, SBU. Uh, you know, he's an SBU alum, so that's the first time I ever saw anything. And so the only thing I've ever seen is the word and way on this issue. After SBU fired a religion professor for violating the faculty handbook during efforts to push out other religion professors at the school. Nettles wrote a letter supporting that professor, calling for close investigation of doctrinal stances and some other professors, and criticizing the school for not having a confessional statement which the professors must adhere. Uh, I think that the senior professor at Southern Seminary knows a little bit about how important it is to have a confessional statement at an institution. Wouldn't you agree? I would, I would think so. I would uh, think so. If your name is Baptist on your university's buildings, right, and in its name, and for years, you uh, brag about your close uh, relationship with the Missouri Baptist Convention without doctrinal fidelity and doctrinal perspicuity. There is no fellowship. Yeah. 
So goodness sakes, uh, I know that he's talking about Dr. Bass here, but he doesn't actually mention Bass's name. I'm assuming that's because uh, he doesn't want to get sued for doing that. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to pretend like I'm a lawyer, by the way, by saying that. I don't know why he doesn't just jump out and say Bass's name here. Uh, That's quite the charge to say that he was trying to push out religious professors from the school. Well, wait a second. If... Clint Bass is confessionally Baptist, and he knows that people who send their students to a Baptist school expect their children and their students, I shouldn't say children, their students to be trained up in Baptist doctrine. Wouldn't he want to share with people if that's not what's being done? And here's the issue is Kaler's photo on this article is a picture of him wearing a mask that says, love thy neighbor. And that's what Clint Bass was doing. So did you? So it depends on how you view this situation. If you were, and it's something as as me. If I if I had a dear friend that I loved so much, and they came up to me and told me about some strange, weird doctrine, and I sat back just to go, let me give them, let me give it the benefit of the doubt. Let me look at, let me search the scriptures. Maybe I've missed something, right? I would I would take it, and then I'd go, wait a second, no, this is going to lead my friend to eternal separation with God. What is the best thing to do? In that mm-hmm. situation, is it, well, I, I want to be friends with them. I don't want to make them mad. Or is it, I love this person so much that I'm going to try to get and, 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 and study with them. So what, what is Clint Bass doing whenever he hears um, really, really bad doctrine, especially if we're Baptist too. I mean, there's that element um, of, of the matter too. There's, this is multifaceted, but you know, loving thy neighbor, uh, if you're going to wear a mask, understand what, people are doing in this situation we are loving our neighbors especially as baptists um in the uh, in our universities uh people are spending mega bucks for the for an education um a, a baptist education and the term baptist actually historically means something that you can't divorce okay so you know you can one of those things you can take lawful proper channels and get into the convention and go hey we have this doctrine wrong and preach it and and convince people of it and then maybe you can doctrinally change the Baptist doctrine, but you have to take the lawful route, which apparently is a bad thing. Yeah. So, hey, we probably need to wrap this up here because yeah. we're nearing 8 o'clock. So uh, let me kind of rush through a few little things yeah. here, and then we'll just get one kind of final comment from you, Tim. You can kind of wrap us up after I uh, just read a little bit here. With the NBCs pushing changes through the trustees, the school has followed Nettles' advice in requiring affirmation of not only the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, but also the 1978 Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, the 1988 Danvers Statement on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and the 2017 National statement on sexuality not only does this push their view of inerrancy that nettles evokes to defend slavery but the danvers statement also reads a bible in the same way as the enslavers did uh tim kind of your final comments on this yeah so i mean once again so he he is using a culturally hot topic to fight an old battle yeah he is trying to argue against the inerrancy of scripture and if you get rid of the inerrancy of scripture, then you get rid of the Danvers statement and the Nashville statement. Yes. Well, what are the Danvers statement and the Nashville statement talk about? Well, the Danvers statement talks about men and women's roles in the church. And, and what liberal Christians do is they argue that men and women's roles and their equality is based on their function and not on their being. 
Mm. And that is a fundamental mistake uh, to place value, the value of an individual to the role that they fit in in the church or in life in general. Uh, when we look at God, uh, the triune God of scriptures, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All are equal, all are God. But mm-hmm. each has their own function, and they, they each play a part in the Godhead, working together in unity. Yes. One is not better than the other, uh, because function, difference in function does not indicate inferiority in nature, as exactly. James White would put it in his Forgotten Trinity. And yeah. so where the, where, the, where the rub has happened is uh, when we argue for complementarianism, as the Danvers statement does, and as the yeah. BFM 2000 yeah. uh, re, would, would state that, that men are called to the role of pastor only, not women. Women are not to be pastors. Uh, the Danvers statement further fleshes that out in men and women's roles in the church and in the family. God designed those roles uh, not based off of the value of the individual, but based off of their purpose for his creation. Yeah. So their value is found in the fact that they are image bearers of God, not in the roles that they play. Yeah, the, the, the inherent it, it, part of their being. So just to kind of like uh, to, to bring this down a notch uh, for in, in language, you know, they are in their being. Men, men and women, so yeah, and they're being or simply, if you want to, yeah, go for it. Simply being a man or a woman, you are a human being. Yeah, you are a special creation in the image of God. That is where your value is found. Uh, ultimately, your value is redeemed and uh, found in Christ. Yeah, uh, you know, our, our identity is found in Christ, but because of what we are, image bearers of God, and we we can be complete image bearers of God when we're in Christ. So yeah. my value and and a woman's value is not found in what I can offer the church or do for the church. No matter how skilled I might be, no matter how gifted I might be at teaching and preaching or whatever it might be, whether I'm a man or a woman doesn't matter. My value is not based in that. My ba- value is based ultimately in Christ uh, redeeming me as an image bearer. Yeah, And, and so that's where we would stand as complementarians where, yes. where the other side, they want to argue that, that women can be pastors because, well, they're good at it. And, you know, it, it's kind of demeaning if you don't, well, no, that's not the argument. You're reframing the problem here. The, the problem is yeah. not what you can do. It's what God has designed you to do and how he's designed you to function. Yeah. And really comes uh, down it, to uh, covenantal hermeneutics. We're talking about hermeneutics here. What is your hermeneutic right. looking at scripture and stuff like that? So, you know, this is a covenant hermeneutic, but, you know, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The way you get around that, because the Bible is very clear uh, that, that a pastor, an elder is supposed to be a man of one wife. Yeah. And, and the way that they would get around that, you would then have to deny inerrancy and say, well, that's just what that culture said at yeah. that time. And I'm going to, we have to reinterpret it for our day, contextualize it for our day. And, and they weren't as civilized as us then. So now we just got to change things. And it's the same argument mm-hmm. that uh, those who would affirm homosexuality make. Yeah. Well, that was just that time, you know, that was just, it was something different in that culture. It's not what we're talking about today. You know, we're talking about a loving union between two people. We're not talking about all this promiscuous activity over here. You know, it's just different, even though the scripture condemns it. They have yeah. to reject inerrancy in order to argue around it. 
Yeah. But the, the reality is, is when you do that, when you reject inerrancy, what you're doing is, is you're not just throwing away God's word as, as it's authoritative, but, but you are really perverting the nature and character of God. Yeah. Because, because God is all knowing, uh, God is all powerful and God does not lie. Yeah. And so from that, God knew exactly when he, he knew every culture that was going to ever walk the face of this earth. He knew every language that was going to be spoken on this earth. He knew every individual, mm-hmm. but yet God chose a specific culture, a specific time in history, a specific people and a specific language in order to communicate to us so that we could have a word that we could go to and understand it correctly. Yeah. Uh, God is not surprised by our culture today. God knew exactly what would happen in our culture today and the problems that we would face when he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, moved Paul to write as Paul wrote. That's right. So that when Paul Paul writes, Paul, we can see his, his uh, own um, personality in his writing, but yet we understand and know from the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our life and the testimony of the church that, that as we read this, it is God's word and still applies today as Paul wrote it then. And so that's really where, where, the, where the rubber hits the road here in, in complaining about the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy, complaining about the, the Nashville Statement, the Danver Statement, and even the BFM. What you're saying is, I don't want the Bible to define for itself what it is. I yeah. want to define the Bible. I yeah. want to define what I like and what I don't like. And you have to reject the inerrancy of scripture to do that. Yeah. 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 Well, um, well, let's, let, what, what, what we'll do, I guess, uh, from this point, um, we got a lot of the stuff that, uh, we still need to talk about and I think is important. So Tim, would you, uh, uh, like to, uh, make a part two, um, happen soon? Oh yeah, we can do that. Okay. Um, so yeah, so, uh, yeah, cause we're coming up on an hour and eight, it's, you know, past eight o'clock and everything. Um, and just, you know, give our listeners a part one and we'll, uh, for you guys out there, uh, and podcast land, uh, just, uh, we'll try to make a number two, um, happen because we really need to talk about, um, cause it is the, uh, it is the topic of the day, yeah. um, that we really need to talk about how, no, this is, we are not reading the Bible like enslavers did and we can prove it, you know, and, and we let, let's, let's prove it, you know, let, let's well, give something out there. So many that, things. But, I mean, yeah. many people who are yeah. well, I, not going to jump into that, but yeah. Yeah. Tim, thank you so much, man, for coming on. Sorry. Uh, as it's getting late, Adam has to drive home this time <laughs> and we also have to do some unpacking of, uh, or some packing. I've got to take this stuff, whole studio so. that I brought with me. This is everything from my house. I yes. have to pack up and bring up here to bring it back. So, yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tim, yeah. so much for joining us. And uh, Adam, I'll kind of let you close us out, man. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, we'll we'll do a number of part two. We've got some other stuff coming up uh, you know, next Monday. Um, we'll talk about some more things. Maybe we can get Tim back on to replace one of the episodes or something. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get this all thing figured out. But, yeah, there's a lot of good meat here. But we hope that uh, tonight has been edifying. Uh, uh, I hope that maybe some history has been talked about that you guys didn't know about that you guys can go learn about now uh, as far as being a baptist um but you know there's a lot of stuff 
here. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to still go on and talk about. Uh, but please, um, if there's anything that you've heard, um, any clarifications that you'd like, please, please, please email us, uh, get on the comment box, um, wherever you hear this, uh, just give the, give us, uh, some questions and stuff. We, we would, uh, covet your feedback um, That's right. on this and, and any clarifications that we can make on this, uh, that would be helpful to you guys, um, especially in your dealings, um, with these issues, uh, let us know and we would do our best to, uh, answer those but anyway uh with the tag year at podcast i'm ray ray and i am dave he'll do it and he's tim on on the line i'm sorry i'm sorry all right and so i'm gonna start and tim's gonna finish so soli deo gloria